0: series two of l ds pivots performance and the first of five conversations. As with series one, Guy Wallace and myself, David James, will speak with esteemed guests about their own pivot from learning focused practice towards a performance orientation that more predictably and reliably, let alone efficiently and successfully achieves demonstrable results for both employees and organizations. For these five conversations, each two weeks apart, we've invited guests that have made the pivot themselves and have achieved real results from doing so. We'll invite our guests to share their stories, we'll question them on their approaches and encourage them to share relatable experiences to inspire you to either initiate or enhance your own pivot. And we'll also seek plenty of opportunities to get you involved too. But perhaps we should start with our own introductions including our own pivot
1: from a learning focus to performance focus. And Guy, would you like to kick us off? Thank you, David, sure. Hello everyone, my name is Guy Wallace. I've been in the performance-based training and development business, now known as learning and development, since 1979. When I first got out of college, I joined a training organization where I was immediately oriented to performance as the goal of learning. And I was encouraged to learn about the methodologies of the late Gary Rumler, Tom Gilbert, Joe Harless, and Bob Mager. Uh, They were very much alive back in those days, but uh, now they're no longer with us. I'm happy to partner again in this second year with David on this and have our guests share with us their pivot to performance, Uh, and uh, we hope that uh, you find it uh, uh, encouraging to you if you've not made that pivot yet, uh, because we would encourage you to make that pivot to a performance orientation in the learning and development that you produce for your firm thank you well, thanks guy um, and I'm David James um,
0: I uh, nearly 25 years in learning and development 15 of those uh, in organizations uh, either part of LD teams or or running local say UK learning and development teams and uh, and uh, Europe Middle East and Africa as well but I was later to enlightenment uh, I say that I uh, mine is a, a well-trodden path I learned about training and development in the classroom, uh, and then I built up my skill set from there, uh, which I don't think is uh, is particularly uncommon. Uh, but it was in my role as, uh, as director of learning talent and OD at Disney uh, that I really realized that uh, in order to do what I was then expected to do, then I needed to pivot from a learning mindset, which was much more around Uh, encouraging people to engage in learning content and learning programs to one that was laser focused on helping people uh, to do uh, new jobs in new ways uh, or old jobs in new ways uh, to achieve different ends. Uh, And I think it takes a very different skill set. But first of all, I think it takes a different mindset. Uh, in order to get there. But I do think that, uh, that that many are along the journey as was proved in series one, and I think we'll see in series two as well. But that's enough about us. Let's welcome our first guest this year, the head of Global Learning Design and Learning Sciences at Novartis, Miriam Nealon. Hello, Miriam.
2: Hello, David. Hello, Guy. Hello, everyone. Happy to be here.
0: Uh, well, Miriam, um, perhaps you could kick us off by giving us a short introduction to you and your background in L&D, please.
2: Yeah, so I've I i do not have that many years under my belt as Guy Wallace does for sure. I think I was a toddler when he started uh, <laughs> in L and D. I have about I'm in I've been in L and D for about fifteen years now. So before that I was I worked as a speech therapist. I've always been interested in how the brain processes things. I have a master's in psycholinguistics, which is more about how the brain processes language. So that's how I also ended up as a speech therapist, because I wanted to work with people with neurological uh, disorders and help them to communicate effectively again. One of the frustrations I had in that job is that uh, speech therapy was not very evidence based uh, back in the days. And so at some point I thought I want to kind of change careers because I don't think I can really build a career in a way that I uh, would like to. So then I did a bit of research and ended up studying learning sciences again, ending up in a field that is not very <laughs> evidence informed. <laughs> but anyway, um, I did my masters, and uh, I then started the career as like more like an instructional designer. I did a lot of e-learning development. and then over time, I went to more strategic roles, more like leading projects. and you know, more responsible for the higher-level design approaches, uh, so not so much like actually developing uh, the content in any way. And in my current role, uh, my task is to build learning design capability across the organization. So across uh, Novartis, uh, there's about 130,000 people. I am, in general, of course, they don't all do learning design; um, they do <laughs> very important things i was going to say way more important things but so there's about i think over a thousand learning people in novartis um it's quite challenging to know where they all sit so the way i try to drive the change is that i engage with the business so i pick with my team one or two projects each quarter so that we're actually solving real business problems and then from that we extract like things like case studies but also frameworks models examples um whatever we can use to help others um change their practice and another pillar that i have is um what i call the experience design community so that is a sweep across the organization so we i when i just started a job i asked um our learning committee to nominate people from across the organization people who they think are strong in learning design. So I've been working with these people. So I started with a group of about 20, where we really started conversations around what learning design is and why we're here and my vision and to what extent they could buy into that vision and you know, what evidence informed learning design means and all that good stuff. And now we kind of like have changed that model a little bit in the sense that we now are working with more people so we have broader discussions around topics that they can bring up but i work really hard to keep these discussions structured so that we don't end up with just a bunch of opinions uh flying around we really try to create like clarity about what we mean with certain terms and and whatever and then we also do um webinars and uh, what we call learning design jams so these are more like peer-to-peer critique uh, sessions where people bring real projects and we uh, discuss how people can improve uh, their approach that's Wonderful. it in Thanks,
0: a nutshell. there's so much in there that uh, that we'd love to unpack especially evidence-informed uh, design uh, but before we do uh, as Guy and I shared you know we we, we both uh, experienced a, um, a personal pivot um, that, that's very different. And I wonder, Wonder, did you have a, a personal pivot from one where you were learning oriented to one where you were much more performance focused? And if you did, what was normal for you before and what was your aha moment?
2: So I didn't have like an aha moment as such. But so when I studied uh, learning sciences, I worked with the 4CID model. So this is described in the book. Ten steps to complex learning. So what that does is it it really helps you focus on tasks that people actually need to complete um, on the job. So that's my education. So I've always thought about learning uh, that way. Um, and then when I started working in actual organizations, I just realized that usually that's not you know what we design for. We don't necessarily, at least from what I've seen in the organizations I work in, and especially at the beginning of my career where I was more, you know, junior and more like doing e-learning development, it was very hard for me to see how this specific e-learning that I was developing was actually helping people to do something different on the job. So I've always seen that disconnect. Um, although sometimes, of course, when you work on a specific piece of e-learning, you might not be aware of all the other elements that are also designed. So you might not always be able to see the bigger picture, but it might still be there. But anyway, it always has frustrated me that I wasn't able to see that bigger picture so that I couldn't really understand, like, am I actually adding value here or or not? Then, so so that, that focus on work I've always had from the very beginning, just because of the way my masters uh, was designed so later when I started working for um what well, it was an applied research center learnavate and also Accenture later on that's when I really started to understand more about the business and uh, how they think about business problems so that's when I started to think a bit more holistically in the sense that um for example I remember when I worked uh, with Accenture I was working with a team um that were that they were about like how we could help clients um to move towards blockchain solutions so so i mean i'm i'm using the wrong wording here but it was basically about how how we could sell blockchain um to our clients and that required a whole different way of working and thinking about selling because it was no longer about selling to one client but it was about like a partnership between various uh, parties So anyway when I started to do more analysis and talking to people in that space I think that's when I really started to see that training or learning alone would not necessarily help them get there because there were all kinds of other things um, that needed to be fixed as an example I remember at some point I was doing some user research and it was about collaboration and I had been told by my stakeholders that we needed to in, include like collaboration in the training that we were designing, and I thought, hmm, "What does that even mean? You know, like how?" Yes, yeah, so I was a bit skeptical, so I started talking to people like on the audience, and so I said, "So tell me about how you work with other, like you know, breaking silos and all that good stuff." And they said, "Yeah, it's, it all sounds sounds nice in theory, but in the end, when I partner with another uh, department, I basically need to share my revenue with them, so I'm not." you know and I thought okay yeah now we can we can train people to collaborate better but I don't think that's the issue you know it's in the it's in the model in the in the incentivizing how do you say that? reward no not reward incentivization what's the incentives I don't know what the word no, is. No, that's right
0: that is right yeah anyway
2: yeah so that's when I started to see um yeah more like the business models and I also started reading more about organizational learning which then you know it just kind of opens up your mind a little bit I think and your eyes when you look around and think eh, yeah this whole learning thing is not going to do the trick in and all like by itself.
0: It's wonderful that you, you, you talked about uh, analysis and I wonder whether you have a structured approach or uh, or whether it could be cookie cutter um, in, uh, in the in the context uh, in which you, you discuss there. I know that, that from my own perspective. Uh, guy and a, a guy and I have talked about this before. I, I call it discovery because uh, because I find stakeholder groups averse to the word analysis in case it means there's going to be a delay to this thing that's about to be delivered uh, that they've asked for. Uh, so the softer approach and and something a bit more guerrilla style. Uh, to unpack what it what it is that they're that they're trying to achieve, but do you have a systematized um approach to analysis or um or or something that you that that you've refined that works for you now
2: I have systematized approaches in my head yes however <laughs> in reality <laughs> I don't necessarily follow them i try i try to be systematic uh in the sense that I try to see like all the steps that i ideally should take but in reality it's usually quite messy in the sense that and i actually learned this from guy like in the past i had a tendency when a client would come to me with a request and you know they would send a bunch of content for example i would kind of immediately start to challenge them and say well how do you know this is a problem and da, da, da. so uh <laughs> i no longer do that um i really uh, what i usually do and what i think works quite well is i bring the stakeholders together in a, in a, usually a virtual whiteboard, because I, I work with global teams. So I, I never really have a chance to really work with people face to face, but I bring them together. So for example, in a Miro board and we talk about, you know, what they're trying to solve. So kind of like a method type exercise or like Kathy Moore has. Hmm. And then what that does usually is that they start to see that they actually disagree a lot on what they actually are trying to achieve. So I think that's already helpful because they all come in with this, you know, this is what why we're here and this is the solution. And then if they start to realize that they don't even agree together, well, then that's for them to solve. Right. So that I don't have to challenge that anymore because they start <laughs> challenging each other. Um So I think that is helpful. And then when we get to a point where we agree that this is what the problem is. Ideally, of course, I get some objective data to to back that up and not just people saying uh, all kinds of things. Um, and again, I, I am aware of systematic approaches on how to do this. I don't always do it that systematically. It really depends on, on the time and uh, the amount of stakeholders and the type of stakeholders that I'm dealing with. But then I usually find one or two subject matter experts who are willing to sit down with me and talk a bit more about the work. So that's when I do more like a task analysis type of thing. And sometimes there's a step before that. So if they send me a lot of content, I try to make sense out of that content and kind of already map it out in some kind of flow that I think. And then I make comments like, is this to understand the concept of blah? Or so I try, you know, to show I'm really trying to understand what you're trying to achieve with this. And then um, when they start talking about the work, then we can then later map their content to what the actual work looks like. And what that does is that they start to realize that their content is not going to get them where they want to be. And sometimes that's fine, and they'll say, okay, well, we don't have more budget, so we are still going to go with just this content, but then at least they realize at that point, well, that's not going to move the needle as much as we hoped um, it would. So to me, like the visualizing of that, this is what the works look like, this is what it takes, right, so, so I would talk about first at a higher level, what are the steps, well, first you do this, then you do this, then you do that. And before that, I would have asked, and this is guys, uh, work again. Uh, what does, the, what's the deliverable? Does that helps just people to kind of like be, become more concrete? The steps, so the sequence. And then for each step, I ask them, okay, what do you need to be able to do this? What do you need to be able to do? What do you, be, you need to be able to know? They're usually not well able to articulate them because they're master performers usually, right? Or subject matter experts. So I usually just say things like, okay, it sounds to me that in order to be able to do this, you need to understand a hell of a lot about X. And then it's, like, oh yeah, yeah, you need to do it. So uh, that's how they start to see. I, I ask about the tools that they use. Do they use certain templates? So that's, do they collaborate with others along the way? So it just helps them to get insight, more insight into their own practice, which I, can see people usually quite enjoy because it gives them a sense of like oh i'm doing all these things and i know all these <laughs> so that's the step then and then ideally i'm trying to think it kind of depends sometimes i then move towards creating an a worked example with them so that when i say worked example what that means is now let's think about a really concrete scenario that you or project that you worked on recently in the context of this work let's think about really what it took what you need to do how you need to do it and why you need to do it that way so it just goes like one level deeper i also then probably ask more questions around okay so what usually goes wrong like what are the mistakes that can happen and all that so just that one level deeper which is then really to understand what it will take to learn the work.
0: Wonderful. There's so there's so much great stuff within there, Miriam. Uh, that 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 I'd love to to just check my understanding, but also to to um, uh, to to. Um uh, help to summarise for for the attendees. If if anybody um, who's listening has got any questions, then then please do uh, ask. I'm gonna I'm just gonna explore this uh, a little bit with, more with uh, with Miriam. But but first of all, co- a comment, Miriam. What I love about that is that you you clearly you're, you're educated in there uh, uh, in in this area. So you have the you have the the uh, the education plus uh, you have uh, which I don't think could be understated the diplomacy. Uh, because, you know, Guy, guy, you know, I've seen posts that, that you write before, uh, don't say no to a training request. <laughs> it's absolutely critical. So many people fall down at the point where they don't wish to take the training request on the, on the, state, on, uh, I don't know whether it's principle or whether there is, the, this is the point in which they'd like to educate their stakeholder that the training isn't going to work. But what I also love about it as well is in understanding what to work on in the first place, you get in a load of stakeholders. It's kind of you know it reminds me, um of uh, a little bit of, of um, cognitive task analysis like when you get into the task if master performers don't know 70 percent of, of up to 70 of of what they do in order to complete the task if, what i love about the approach to the analysis is does your stakeholder fully understand the problem that they're seeking to solve and with more people there are you going to get a grander understanding of all of the implications rather than the one part that it's been uh, perceived uh, is the uh, is the issue again as as i said like you've got all, all of these areas but it, that, that you're combining to bring stakeholders on a journey and make sure that you're not wasting their time or the organisations uh, precious resources on doing something that isn't going to move the needle
2: yeah i think that's a really good point so so what that that whole even that whole task analysis thing like when you then present that back to stakeholders that's when they start to realize this you know what it really takes to do this work because they talk especially now with all the skills hype and stuff people talk about skills a lot but they don't realize that usually especially in in knowledge worker type context that usually when we say skills we're actually talking about complex skills and what that means is and I, I won't give like a whole lecture on complex skills here but that we're, it's not one skill. It's not like, oh, first you do this and then you do that and you do that. It's usually when we say data analysis, for example, well, that's actually a suite of constituent skills that are either temporal or vertical, you know, one. And like, for example, um, analytical skills, they would enable certain. So that's that's an enabling skill. So, I mean, it's really complicated. Right. So I think a task analysis really helps people to realize I just want to make one comment. You kind of make me, uh, laugh when you say, uh, di- diplomacy <laughs> because, because if my colleagues would listen to this, not my, not my business colleagues, not my business, not the people in the business, because with them, yes. But when I work with my, <laughs> my own team, I, I would, I would be way stronger in my language and call things out <laughs> as BS yes, and nonsense. And so, yes, but I can do it, guys. I really can.
0: <laughs> Brilliant. Well, we get we're getting questions in, but I've got one more question to ask you, Miriam, before we we go uh, to those. Um, to what extent do you um, seek data at this point? I mean, you've, you've talked like, from from what you've described. There's anecdata from the stakeholders, but to what extent do you pursue data with them to validate um, um, issues and to understand it more? Um, or again, is, are you diplomatic in that approach, depending on, on what it is? I
2: must admit that so far, it, I have found it really challenging to get objective data from stakeholders. Like I, I've, I've recently worked with, uh I'm trying to think how I can share this without going into much detail, but with a project that actually did like market research and, and really had evidence that their sales numbers were decreasing because of XYZ. So but that was actually one of the first times that I have really seen people coming with more objective evidence to show me that this was actually a problem. I've seen uh, the majority of projects I've worked on was mostly stakeholders saying that, you know, that that they had data, but they didn't really think they had to show it to me because I was just a learning person.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. Yeah, I'm sure we've we've all been there. So I would Uh, pursue
2: it. I would ask, Mm. uh, but but yeah, I haven't had, um, which I think is actually terrible. But I think you should definitely try to to get it. Yeah.
0: Yeah, of course, because then you know that that that's the way that we get past the uh, not just did we make an impact, but did we desire? uh, Did we make the desired impacts? And of course, it goes some way to addressing uh the, the the boogeyman for yes yeah, so okay.
2: right. can, I, can i say something about that because i think yes that's the ideal to me yeah. the way i try to move the needle at the moment is I, I i don't even focus on that at the moment what i focus on is and i'm not saying you shouldn't ideally you should but i think if we're first able to really focus on the work and what people actually need to do on the job if we if we focus there, I am already quite happy. So um, I am not even ROI and I mean yes, I just yeah. I, there's so many variables and so little data in my yeah. experience. So yeah, that's why I focus on the on the work and the context at the moment.
0: Yeah, so so trusting that if people are doing enough of the right stuff, and that and and that's determined by your key stakeholders, then that's going to be able to deliver the results
2: yeah that's yeah. that's then my assumption <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> well i'd like to invite guy in uh, i don't know if you have any uh questions or comments guy or, if, or anything's come in from uh on the on the chat so far
1: yeah there's a couple of things here the first one i think is a, a quick answer do you think that getting a master's degree in learning sciences or some equivalent field is is worth it well, to
2: me, it's definitely worth it uh the reason is that i think it makes it easier to distinguish between fads and uh, more objective inform like real information um just because you have a more foundational knowledge level you know the research that's out there you know what it what has what is more like high quality evidence than something else so I think it just makes it easier and I think it also in my uh, experience for me it has made it easier To have conversations with my stakeholders, because I am usually able to explain why we need to take a certain approach, so I give you one example. I did an assessment recently of an existing learning program and it's a very uh, it's a detailed example, but they had very training focused language in the in the sense that oh complete this video watch this video first before you move on to the next thing so. I gave them a lot of recommendations around how to change their language to be more informal and uh, focused, you know, orienting people on where they are in the journey. And one of the feedback pieces I got was, well, how do you know this? Like, did the users complain or whatever? And I was like, no, they didn't. I know this because I know Myers multimedia principles and I know all the things about, you know, what makes learning more effective for people. So that's what I base my recommendations on, not because the learner says I don't like this. So I think this type of it's it's just you can make rec- recommendations based kind of like on your knowledge and not on what people say.
1: So the the uh, there's a comment here that they uh, the uh, Clement liked this step around seeking disagreement. And I really thought I had made notes uh, as you were talking about that, that. I think it's important to get your stakeholders aligned. And one of the things, as you said, is that when you start talking with them, and it's great when they're all together doing this, because if you're talking to them one on one, they don't quite see it, but they don't agree. And getting them aligned to what is it that we're trying to do and affect, I think, is a really critical step. So, you know, that's something that may not be covered in a typical ISD, LXD kind of a program, but I think that, that you're always dealing with stakeholders and they're going to come out of the woodwork at some point during your project or when it's all done and it would have been so much better to get them involved back on day one
2: for sure and 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 just for the person who asked about the the value of the the masters so i stick to my answer i also want to add you don't learn anything about dealing with challenging stakeholders in a master's you know learning you know about the learning sciences so you would still have to learn a lot when you when you actually start working. Yeah.
0: Well, I do have a question on that, Miriam, because I wonder if uh, did you have steps towards that? Because I know that 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 um, there would have been stages in my career. Um, do not you know what? I, even even when I, when I was uh, director at uh, Disney, there would have been certain stakeholders where I just thought, but you know what? Let's just bring everybody in a room. I didn't ask, uh, ask that because, you know, I, I learned from you know, from you in this conversation uh, about that approach. I'd love to. Have, but I can see how it would have benefited me. And there would have been some where I would have thought, do you know, what? I'm going to I'm going to take what you're saying as red because this is this is going to distract us from doing anything. Uh, and probably harm my career uh, if I suggest that we bring other people in. Were, were, were there steps towards this approach, Miriam, that, that you would have taken? Because there are going to be plenty of people uh, listening to this uh, who think, well, I don't have the currency in my organization to to be able to do that.
2: Yeah, so definitely. So usually earlier in my career, I usually got like an appointed subject matter expert. Right. So that's when I was still more like designing actual interventions myself like the details of it uh so then i i really had or had to i didn't challenge them really i could just tried to partner with them as best as i could but then when i worked with accenture i was lucky enough that i was so i was in an internal um consultancy team so i wasn't working with external clients with internal clients but i was like working with the business like a hundred percent i was like aligned with a certain team so what that means is that you get an opportunity to build relationships uh with people over time. So you might start, you know, with one subject matter expert and then, you know, when you do uh a good job, then, you know, they they let you engage with like a more senior person, you know. So uh it kind of like build over time and I never really realized that that's what I needed to do until I did it. It was just so eye opening like it's like oh <laughs> I think I should do this more often. Um so it kind of happens or organically uh I would say and so therefore I would now encourage people to ask for a group uh and not just not when you just when you when you just I don't mean it's in a I was gonna say just do content development. I'm just saying that you probably don't have an opportunity then because I don't think they will allow you to work with a group of stakeholders. When you work on a more strategic or higher level design uh, level, then yeah. Just ask, okay, who else? Who else can we ask? Who else Mm -hmm. needs to be involved? I think it's always worth trying.
1: Yeah, no, great. We Um, have uh, one last question here about uh, what's your experience in changing the mindset that you are just the training person and not working on performance? To performance improvement I do.
2: <laughs> I do remember one situation where where a stakeholder said um you know i was kind of trying to sell space learning over time and i explained that people remember better and da, 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 da. and then and then this person said oh that's not true miriam because when i watch netflix and when i binge watch i remember way better than than when i watch like one episode you know every week or every and i just was quiet for a couple of, well, I didn't know how to respond. And then I just said, well, I don't know that much about the science of Netflix, but I do know a little bit about the science. (laughs) 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 Okay. But so, um, the way I responded to, you know, the way I try to change that is to really try to understand what they're trying to achieve. So, all I'm doing is asking them questions about, okay, so why, what's the problem? What do people need? Why do people, what do people need to achieve? Um, so I really try to focus on what they are trying to achieve and keep that front and center at all times. And then, you know, even they would not take me seriously, right? Talking about learning objectives. I would say things like, okay, sorry, but when I look at these learning objectives, last time I heard you say, this, this, and this is important. I really, I don't really understand how these objectives will help us achieve this. So what's your thinking? And at some point, they just realized that I was trying to help them achieve what they needed to achieve. And I think that's all you need to focus on, to be honest, I think it's quite simple. It will take a while before, and, and it requires a lot of effort, as in you need to listen, and you need to go through all kinds of, you know stuff that they send you and really try to
0: understand what it means
2: mm. yeah so you can't it, be lazy
0: is it fair to say as well miriam that you that that job is never completed there's not one point in which everyone in your organization says mindset changed like the 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 very next comment when you've got it I think you've got it nailed you've convinced a really tricky stakeholder you've done some great work the next thing that's likely to come around your door is someone asking just for a new person.
2: Yeah, so you need to start all over again,
0: yeah. Yeah, 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 Yeah. precisely. That that job is never done, but I think that that you uh, end up building a reputation that's largely um, developed around helping the organization to achieve desired outcomes and not necessarily just delivering stuff um, and then wondering whether it works. But but again, yeah, the, the, the work's never done. Uh, yeah, and, and again it's a we, bit more
2: we, tricky when you constantly work with different clients right because yeah mm. yeah it's it's just more difficult
0: yeah yeah, completely agree. Um, look, uh, we'll get on to, uh, to the next uh, plan question here. Uh, but I would uh, encourage if anybody's got any questions, we will be stopping again uh, shortly. To, so so, take this opportunity to uh, uh, to prepare uh, questions in the chat. But uh, but uh, Miriam, I wonder whether we've we've spoken here about uh, uh, about your your approach, and I wonder if we can ground this in some practical reality. And I know that you stopped short earlier of uh, of a of a practical example, but without divulging IP. Um, Is there a real life example that you can give to us of how a a problem was presented to you or a request for training came to you? uh, The analysis you did, perhaps the stakeholders you involved um, and what you did uh, in order to uh, to affect performance?
2: Yeah, so I'll go with a bit of a recent example, um, which was where there was already an existing program and Initially, the request was more around we need to move our stuff over to the learn new learning experience uh, platform. And we've done our best. Uh, but can you just assess it and give us some ideas on how we can make it better? So I had some initial conversations with uh, the training person. So th- this person was actually a subject matter expert in a training role. So knew a lot about the business uh, and less about training. Uh, which actually was better for me (laughs) Uh, in this case. So I, he was able to show me data that they had a problem that the sales numbers went down, um, because of, um, you know, less opportunity. It's a lot, lot to do with COVID, uh, less face to face, um, meetings with, uh, with customers. So sales uh, figures decreased and, um, So this uh, program was focused on uh, helping people to build more online um, presence and and, and engaging with customers. So I assessed the learning uh, program, and I thought to myself, okay, there is a lot of content here, and it's a lot of good content here. Uh, I don't really understand why it's sequenced the way it's sequenced, I don't really see any like real life examples for people to really understand? I thought it was all a bit abstract. Um, and as I said earlier, like the language was quite like focused on you're here to complete the training kind of, uh, language. Mm-hmm. And so I suggested to do a task analysis to, to, to say to just to take a look at, you know, to what extent is your current program actually mirroring the, the, the actual work? So my my client was open to that, so we did that. And um, so that way I was able to go back and say, okay, now that I know what the work, act, what it actually takes for people to do these things, I could make better recommendations around why the sequence had to change and why the flow had to change and what it would take for people to get there. And also what it did was my client, because of the task analysis, was way better able to see like, oh, we have this now as part of our training, But in order for people to actually change their behavior and build new habits and understand, you know, what's allowed and what's not allowed, like we need to provide way more support and guidance like over time. So um, in, in the end, it just really helped to move from what I call a training focus to a capability building focus. So it just really helped them. And another thing that they realized is that they were making quite a lot of assumptions around how this training was going to actually impact more engagements with clients and then is that then going to lead to more sales right like it it, it that, so it just kind of helped them to think about okay what are we actually expecting to happen and and really thinking about okay how can we set some good hypotheses and then how can we then design to test if that's actually going to happen. So yeah, it was quite interesting.
0: But I'd imagine incredibly satisfying as well, because I know mm. that that from my experience, when when we talk about this stuff, um, the resistance that we get a lot of the time is that my stakeholders won't be open to this. But it sounds like from that conversation, how can a stakeholder not be welcome to becoming more enlightened about the problem that you're seeking to solve, and also? Uh, 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 a friendly, um, encouraging challenge to what you're thinking might might help. Like, is likely not. I mean, I mean, how satisfying is it, and what kind of reactions do you you get in the room to this stuff?
2: I think. Well, one, I think I was lucky with this hmm. customer in the sense that they were very open to feedback, and they really wanted to help their people improve. You know, this 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 behavior. So that's one thing the other so what I've noticed is that that training people people are owning programs they are often incentivized to deliver the program Mm -hmm. and that's it so the more users completions you know that's what people get like they that's what makes them visible so there is a challenge there and I remember like with this, with, with one of this type of people, like they kept saying to me, yeah, but I need to show that my problems, uh, my program is successful, right? That's what I need to show. And I said, can I, can I just give you something? Can I plant a seed in your head here? Like, I don't think it's your job to show how successful your program is. I think it's your job to be crystal clear with your leadership, what you're trying to achieve. And it's your job to tell them, if you think that this is not going to get them there, that's what you're owning. You're owning the capability. You're not owning. Don't worry about your program. You can change your program. Your job is to make sure that people are able to do this stuff so that they can support this business goal. That's why you're here. So if if you don't trust, if you think that your program is not adding a lot of value, you need to go back to your leadership and say, I don't think this is doing the trick. We need to change because X, Y, Z. Mm. And it was really, it, he just looked at me and goes, oh, I've never thought about it that way. <laughs> but I think that's their responsibility as, as, as training mm. leads or whatever leads they are owning these programs. They need to also get that business mindset and not the performance mindset and not the, the training program mm. mindset.
0: Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more, Miriam um we I'll, I'll put one more shout out for uh, for questions because I've got one more question before uh, before uh, we'll invite more uh, uh, invite guy back to, uh, to to share yours but um but one, one thing've I've noticed from what what you've said here Miriam is that um that many people want a job like yours uh, and what I mean by that is one where uh, a conversation about the work, is welcome and that they can and that they can then do meaningful work in learning and development but what i'm hearing from you is that you've not waited for this to happen and that that you're initiating these conversations that might be more difficult well i'd say that they are more difficult than than uh what training would you like what would you like in it and when would you like it delivered um you know the the this is the i mean you've got me fired up <laughs> i thought it was my job but you got me fired up to uh um uh, that that this is really what we're what we're all about and so so my last question to you is um you're going to have inspired plenty but plenty more people who are here today or, or listening back on the podcast or uh or the recording so what what advice would you give to them if they are thinking of adopting a similar approach so that they are moving conversations more towards um uh, the work to be done the tasks and uh and uh, and and outputs uh, or they're thinking of adapting uh, approach because because they're a little further down the line of, uh, of a performance orientation what what advice would you give
2: yeah i i i would suggest to really try to start with something like a task analysis because and and the way you could frame it i think is let's make sure that the people who we're trying to serve here that they actually get what they need so that they can support what you're trying to achieve. So let's spend a little bit of time. It doesn't have to be, it's like one to two hours. If uh, that's about one one piece of work, right? It's not, if you have a full blown program, it doesn't matter, start with something small that you can do in one or two hours with, with a stakeholder. And so that you can start to demonstrate to them Why a program needs to change and what it takes for people to, to do that piece of work. So to me, and, and if you're even before that, so if the program is quite abstract, you know, sometimes programs can be a bit fluffy with a lot of self, self directed stuff and then self reflection or whatever you can use to say, okay, let's try to really understand what we expect people to do with this. So then you can also uh, ask for like a task analysis, or another option could be ask a stakeholder or sme to create an example for you. So I mean you have to partner with them and you need to give them some kind of template to say, "Okay, can you help me understand so that we can help the learners understand what what a real life scenario could look like for this and then and then you can use that almost as. I mean, I call it a worked example. That's that's quite a lot of work. But if you can even start with a scenario, a real life example, then you can kind of use that to move the conversation um, on to make things more concrete and contextualized.
0: Brilliant. And uh, and in terms of uh, uh, task analysis, uh, is there is is this something that you've developed, or is this something that you that you lean on that's been developed before, Miriam?
2: I have developed like my own templates, but I mean I know because guys' books are, are great. I can imagine that they can be a bit overwhelming if you haven't done this before. Mm. But mine is really simple. Like what are this what is the output? So the what is the skill they talk about? So say uh leadership. That's the skill. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Let's break that out a bit.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
2: um feedback delivery okay let's start with that feedback delivery what does that look like well we have different situations so yeah try to just find something to make it more concrete and then what are the enablers for this thing what do you need to do what do you need to know what are the tools people are using it all sounds very simple it's not necessarily but it's fun yeah it's
0: one
1: of
2: the things that i enjoy the most doing with clients
0: and 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 i mean okay I, I imagine that your your advice would be just do it wouldn't it i mean just don't you know don't think about it have have a conversation with uh with a stakeholder where it really matters that they get an outcome rather than just just want something delivered and have that conversation about those outcomes you know would would i mean because you're gain confidence from doing it won't you
2: yes you do and you learn a lot as well i mean really go in with just trying to understand the work like what what do people actually need to do I don't understand. Help me understand and use that as your, <laughs> as your.
0: <laughs> wonderful. Um, so, uh, so um, I see that uh, that we've got uh, we've we've uh, we've got one more question, which is uh, which is around uh, around the recording, but uh, but we don't have any um, uh, uh, any others on here. Uh, and to uh, to answer that uh, that question, uh, we we will be sharing the recording. Uh, from the wonders of Livestorm, uh For anybody who's not used this before, um, this will be—you'll uh, receive an email almost immediately uh, with the with the recording uh, wrapped up uh, on here. Uh, but before we do um, wrap up, uh, Guy, do you have any uh, closing questions or, uh, or or comments?
1: Well, I I think uh, I'm sorry I disappeared there for a while. I'm not sure what happened, but uh, I was able to get back in. But I think that Miriam's point about uh, and, and talking with her. Uh, a course owner that uh, you know, there's too often a focus on learning activities as our measure rather than the business results. And I think getting uh, ISD, LXD people to focus on the business results and not be so focused on, you know, learning activities and measuring, you know, completions and things like that. That's that's a difficult journey for some because. Their leadership reinforces that look and doesn't reinforce the look like your clients might want on actual results in their business operations. So uh, thank you for sharing that, Miriam. Wonderful. Thanks, Guy.
0: Um, Miriam, this has been this has been hugely insightful. I think that uh, the the reason that uh, the the last question on here was will the recording be shared is that you've 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 dropped so much gold here uh, that I for one will be listening back uh, and I'll be um, certainly sharing this. Uh, on the podcast, and as we said on uh, on on YouTube as well, uh, I'd like to thank everybody who's uh, who's joined us today and uh, uh, and uh, and also contributed with uh, with their comments. Uh, we do have uh, another session in two weeks' time. Uh, Guy, would you like to tease us with the uh, with the guest uh, in two weeks? Uh,
1: gee, I'm not really
0: prepared for that. Who is
1: it? <laughs> Lost track of the sequence of our guests, but uh, yeah, who is it? I think it's Carl, Carl Binder. Oh, Carl Binder, one of my heroes. Yes, so he's a uh, he was the, one of the last graduate students of B.F. Skinner at Harvard. Um, he's been involved in this for forty some years. Uh, I've known him almost that long, um, and uh, he brings uh, uh, the late Tom Gilbert's uh, behavior engineering model. He's done a refresh of that, put it into more common language. And he he will bring and he will share with us his experiences uh, in helping his clients, you know, focus on performance, what what he would call accomplishments, what I would call outputs, pretty much the same thing. But uh, I think this will be another good session. Wonderful, thanks, Guy. Uh, so,
0: so that wraps up for today. Um, Miriam's all left for me to say. Thank you so much for uh, for joining us, and thank you so much for sharing uh, so much uh, of your insight. We really appreciate yeah, thank it. You thank very you very much for
2: having me. I, I really enjoyed it. I am going to find the link so that I can attend the other ones because I think there's a lot to learn in this space. So, thanks and thanks everyone for being here and your questions.
0: Wonderful, thank you.